This Week at Hope Point. So I just want to stop for a moment here, and I want you to marvel with me of all the details so far that we've looked at to just get us to the place where King David was born. It's already mind-blowing. The the plan should have fallen apart a thousand times. And God was connecting all of these dots to bring David and to bring the descendants after David because the point of the genealogies is to tell us that God is unstoppable. For $59, you can buy an Ancestry DNA kit and find a few interesting facts about your great-great-uncle Louis. But for the time it takes to read the brief family tree of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1, you can discover that you are loved by a God whose plans cannot be stopped. You will see that when it looks like too many mistakes have been made or too much time has passed, God reveals that He is still working out His good purposes. Yes, His methods are slow according to human measurement, but it's only because He is building a kingdom whose beauty requires time. Whether you have failed God through doubt or through disobedience, the genealogy of Jesus Christ reveals that God welcomes you in His family and wants to use you in His plans. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. For many years as a teenager, I, along with my family, would gather just off uh, about 30 miles inland from Wilmington, North Carolina, on the banks of the Cape Fear River, uh, by a little village community called Kelly. About 1,200 people lived there. It's where my dad grew up and uh, stayed there um, until he went to Wake Forest and later to the Navy. Many summers we would, we would return to, to Kelly to have the Smith family reunion, and we loved it. It was great food. It was great to hear the stories that had happened in all of our lives since we had gathered the, the previous year. The one thing I didn't like about family reunion time was when, was when Uncle Dick would bring out all the maps of who owned all the land and who belonged to who. It was just basically... A, Another year of studying of the genealogy of the Smith family, and I'm not really into genealogies. I'm into me. <laughs> I don't, don't think about how I got here a, a lot. And uh, now, yeah, I would be interested if I had a great uncle, Uncle Zabo, who collected baseball cards and knew that somewhere there was a lost Mickey Mantle card, I would be interested. And finding that $5 million Mickey Mantle card. But apart from that, I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay with knowing that I got a mom and dad. At the beginning of this Christmas season, though, I, wanna, I want us to marvel at the world's greatest genealogy that had ever been written. We find it in Matthew chapter 1. It begins with, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And for the next 17 verses in Matthew chapter 1, we look at the genealogy, the history, the family tree of Jesus all the way to the point in verse 17 where it says, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, that's section 1. 14 from David to the exile, that's uh, section 2. And then 14 from the return from the exile to the birth of, of Christ. So there's three sets of 14 generations. There's 65 people listed in there. And um, the first set of, of, of the generation, really the theme of those first 14 uh, groupings would be a group of people looking forward to living in the new land of Israel. 
The second grouping of 14 uh, describes a group of people who are in the new land and they're living under the under the, the ruling of all the kings of Israel. And the third generation in the, in the sets of three in the Matthew chapter 1 are people who lived with the invasion. They saw Jerusalem get destroyed. They were carried off away for 70 years, 900 miles away to exile. And then they came back home. And that's the, the history of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, when you, when you look at... Um, these, uh, these three sections in Matthew 1, all of them have a little bit of promise to them. They sort of all begin well. They sort of all begin with a noble person. And then by the time you get to the end of that section, it sort of all falls apart because of, of human inconsistency, people departing from God. And so it's, a, it's a really a list of, of tragedies that uh, much disappointment because of, of people failing to, to love God until you come to the last name in the genealogy, which, end, which ends with the Messiah, uh, the anointed ruler sent from heaven, who, of course, is, is Jesus Christ, because he would not disappoint anybody. He would fail nobody. He would never embarrass his people, not morally, nor in any way. He was flawless. So that's a sort of a 40,000-foot view of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now I want to return back to the beginning and, um, and, uh, and, and just really ask the basic question as we look at this today. Why in the world would the, the most popular book that's ever written and the most influential book that's ever written in the New Testament, why in the world would God choose on page one to begin it with a genealogical record? It takes a lot of guts. It, it's as much guts as it takes to preach this message today. <laughs> because I'll tell you why. God was trying to reach Jewish people first. And the only thing that Jews cared about was, if you tell me that this guy's the Messiah, the promised deliverer of Israel, then two things have to be true in his life. He had to come from two right families. First of all, he had to come from... Uh, uh, Abraham, uh, and then he also had to come from David. Now, the reason why that was important, Abraham and David, that's all in verse 1, and all that goes all the way to verse 17. Abraham was the founder of Israel's faith, so if Jesus could not trace his lineage back to the founder of their faith, he was disqualified. And if he didn't come out of the family of David, the greatest king that ever lived in Israel, and the one that said there's going to be a greater king than that, then Jesus would also be disqualified. So the Jews were interested in that. Did you come from the family of David? Did you come from the family of Abraham? Now, fast forward to the 21st century Spartanburg elite crowd that is before me today, and you say, hey, bro, I'm not a Jew. This is meaningless to me. And I, I hear you, and I have sympathy for that. I do want to ask you, though, to be patient because what you're going to discover are there's five unbelievable realities for non-Jews, for 21st century people in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I'll just tell you and then we'll look, tell what they are and then we'll look at them later. This is what we learned from the genealogy of Jesus if you're not a Jew. God's kingdom is mysterious and complex. His methods are slow according to human measurement. 
His plans cannot be stopped by human weakness and failure. He opens his doors to those who do not deserve it. And his redemptive plan values the role of, of women. Now, I, won't, I don't want you to be discouraged with me as we go through this because that's not really an outline that I'm going to stick with. I'm just telling you those five things are in there. But the genealogy goes all over the place. It involves many different centuries and many rise and falls of leaders. And so those five things are in there. You can look back on the sermon later this week, uh, today on the, on the video recording if you want to write those down. But what I really want to talk about for this moment is how slow uh, uh, and at times disorganized and hopeless the kingdom of God looks according to human measurement. Um, this week I was, I was looking at um, a Lego uh, uh, puzzle of the Taj Mahal. You can buy it for $99 on Amazon. And I read the, one of the reviews on it. It says that it is two guys that did it. It said it took two of us four hours uh, of focused energy and we found it not to be too hard. So if you want to build the Taj Mahal out of Legos, you can spend $99, find a friend and get it done in four hours. But if you want to build the real Taj Mahal, it would take you 16,000 workers um, working together over 21 years with the use of a thousand elephants bringing in precious jewels, sandstone, white marble, jasper, jade, turquoise, carnelian, and sapphire from six countries of the world to build something that is valued at a billion dollars. And so what I want to do to tell you today is when you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it would have been so easy for God to say, this is the genealogy of Jesus. Abraham uh, married Sarah, and they had a little baby named Jesus, and the whole world got saved. And that would have been the Lego version. And it would have meant nothing no pain, no glory to God, no waiting on the Lord, no him getting us out of trouble. But with the, with the non-Lego version, the one that took centuries to put together, we see that every detail of, the, of life is important to God. He takes his time, and the more time that he spends the more obstacles that he overcomes, the more trials that he takes us through and rescues us from, the more provisions he accomplishes, and the more beautiful the finished work becomes, so it turns out to be like that when it's done. God is not interested in bringing an easy thing about a Lego kingdom. It's more of a Taj Mahal and infinitely more valuable than that is what God is doing. And so it's going to take longer and it's going to be harder is what we learn from the genealogy. It took a lot of work on God's part to bring Jesus to the manger. A lot of work. So if you're willing to work a little bit as we work through the genealogy, it's going to take a little work today. But we're not, we're not building a Lego kingdom. 
We're building an infinitely beautiful kingdom, and you're one of the jewels in it. Let's start. Matthew 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, and the son of David, the son of Abraham. What can we learn from that statement? A lot. To me, I'm just blown away when I even see the word, the genealogy of Jesus. You know what a genealogy means? There are people, according to Uncle Dick on the, uh, at, at Kelly, North Carolina, it means there are people who live before me. So when I look at this, all the alarms go off because Jesus Christ is the uncreated one. Nobody lives before Jesus. Everybody lives after Jesus. Everybody comes from Jesus. And yet he's so humble, he made himself to be human so that people did come before him. And the Jesus who created everyone put himself in a position that someone had to create him as a baby. How humble is our our Christ? Well, what else can we learn? I look at the name Abraham, and I think that takes us all the way back, all the way to Genesis chapter 12, just 12 chapters into the Bible. The world is already in a mess, and God is promising to Abraham, I'm going to save the whole world through a descendant that comes out of your family. And then a thousand years after that, he makes the same promise, David, the world's in a mess, and I'm going to save the whole world from a descendant that comes out of your family. So we have that the genealogy of Jesus is working through Abraham. And so for it to continue, Abraham's got to have a son or the genealogy is over. Jesus never comes. So who does the son that's going to continue this genealogy toward Christmas? Well, he has a son named Isaac, but we're not expecting this here. A genealogy should include the oldest son here. That's why I put Ishmael's name down here. He was the oldest son of Abraham, but he didn't get included in the genealogy of Jesus. Why not? Well, Abraham had a wife named Sarah. God came to them and said, I'm going to do a great work. I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to give you some children. And 25 years after God made that promise, there were no children. And they gave up on God. I'm telling you, when God builds the Taj Mahal of a kingdom, it takes a long time. And if you're just going to give up on God after a year or a couple months, this is what they did. 25 years later, they said, well, God's not going to deliver. So Abraham's wife, Sarah, said, I want you to go to bed. I want you to sleep, have sex with my, my, our maid, our housemaid. And he did. And from that union came the birth of a baby named Ishmael. And God said, but he's not the one that I promised. And then God miraculously touched Abraham's um, wife, Sarah's womb, and out came Isaac. So here you would think Abraham, the man who's called the man of faith, gave up on God. Here I would think he's excluded. He shouldn't be in Jesus' genealogy because he didn't believe God. Yet he's there. God said, I knew he would do that. So now we look at Isaac. Now, the genealogy's got to continue. Now, Isaac's got to have a kid, right, to get to Jesus. Well, Isaac's the father of Jacob. Well, you can see down in the light gray below, I put Esau because, once again, uh, you were not expecting to see Jacob's name there because Esau was the firstborn. Why isn't his name there? Well, because Isaac, 
Isaac's son Jacob was so corrupt that when his father got older and began to experience dementia and losing his eyesight, Jacob, who was the second born, came to his dad and said, would you give me the blessing that belongs to the firstborn before you die? And his father looked at him and said, is that you, Esau? And Jacob lied through his teeth and said, yes, it's me, dad. And Jacob gave him the blessing that belongs to the firstborn. He gave it to Jacob and not to Esau. Jacob has spent his whole life lying, and yet he's included in Jesus' family family tree. Now the genealogy has to continue for us to have Christmas presents to unwrap. We got to get to Jesus. Well, Jacob, the deceiver, he had some kids too. He he was the father of Judah and his brothers. That's a a Reader's Digest version of saying there actually there were 12 kids. Jacob had 12 kids. Uh, Jacob's name would later be changed to Israel, and those 12 kids would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Two of those tribes are named Judah and Levi. Well, you look at that list and you say, I would think that Levi would be in the lineage on the way to Jesus Christ because Levi was the tribe that was associated with helping the people with their sins. Whenever the people sinned, they would come to somebody from the tribe of Levi, and the the job of, of, of everybody, of the Levites, the priests, were to do this. Number one, they were to teach people the law of how to obey God, and when the people disobeyed God, the Levites would say, go bring this blood sacrifice, and now you can be right with God and be forgiven. But God didn't include the Levites in the genealogy because he said, I'm changing things up. I'm announcing that there's going to be a man in the future that to be right with me, it's not going to be based on your obedience. And it's not going to be be based on any sacrifice that you can bring. He's going to come out of the tribe of Judah and he's not going to come out of the tribe of Levi. Well, for the genealogy to continue, then Judah has to have a kid. Well, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Well, this is an incredibly complex situation here. Let me tell you a little bit about Judah. Remember, this is Judah is one of the 12 kids of Jacob. Well, Judah's got to have some kids for this whole genealogy thing to continue to get to the birth of Christ, right? Well, Judah had a son very wicked man, God killed him. Well, his wife's name was Tamar. And now she's thinking, I'm not going to have any children. Well, so Judah went to the second son and said, you need to marry your brother's wife so she can have some babies so my lineage can continue. He wouldn't do it. God killed him too. So now you've got the two guys that were going to be able to help Tamar out have children, now they're dead. So Tamar's thinking, I'm not going to have kids. The lineage is over. I got a plan. So she dressed up as a prostitute and traveled several miles up the road to a village where Judah, her father-in-law, did business 
when in, in just in his farming business. And one day on the side of the road, he sees this prostitute and he sleeps with her when he was actually sleeping with his daughter-in-law. And that's how Perez and Zerah were born. Well, so now there's children for Judah out of a very unusual situation. But interestingly, once again, it was not the firstborn that God chose to continue the lineage. It was the secondborn. The firstborn was Zerah. But when he was being delivered, he stuck his wrist out of the birth canal and they tied a little ribbon around and said, well, you're number one. You're going to be in the line of the lineage to Jesus Christ. And right after they tied the, the, the ribbon around his wrist, he pulled his hand back in. And out comes Perez. So once again, the second one, not the deserving one, the second one is now is going to be in the lineage on the way to Jesus Christ. See, it was Perez became the father of all of that. So anyway, so I want you to know is every time you see this swap where the second becomes the first, it's just a reminder that God says, no one gets in my family by human merit. It's all by my grace and my decision, not by human manipulation. So Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of some guy, and that guy the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was, was Rahab. Well, Boaz is a pretty important person in this, on the way to Jesus, and uh, he would not have, he would not have even been in existence, obviously, without having a mother, and his mother's name here is Rahab. You can read her story in Joshua chapter 6. Now, this is how Boaz was born. The Israelites were invading the land that was given to them by God. They fought 33 battles in the book of Joshua. One of the cities that they were conquering was called the city of Jericho. When they came to the city, they saw that there was a wall 30 feet tall and 12 feet wide that wrapped around the city. They were not at all equipped militarily to defeat that city. So God said, well, there's no way you're going to break down those walls. So just march around it seven times, praying and singing. So hunters leading them around. They're singing great songs, praying their heads off, and on day seven, the walls fall. Now, it's interesting. By this time in this surrounding area, people knew that the power of God was on the nation of Israel. And so there was one particular woman inside the city of Jericho that was frightened when she knew the walls were going to fall. Her name was Rahab. She actually lived in the city wall. That's where she did her business. She was a prostitute. And so before the military conquest occurred, she made a deal with the leaders of the troops. Listen, when this wall falls, I would like to become a worshiper of God and change my life. Would you accept me into the nation of Israel? And they said, yes. So Rahab gets saved. She becomes the mother of Boaz. And then Boaz has part in 
Got to make our way toward Jesus. And Boaz becomes the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So Boaz and Ruth give birth, give, uh, give birth to this little baby named Obed. He's, he's going to play a pretty important role, too, getting us halfway there. So Boaz marries Ruth. Well, who's Ruth? What a story that is. So to really get to know who Ruth is, you got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 19. Because in Genesis 19... Um, there were two of the most wicked cities that had ever been in existence on earth, Sodom and Gomorrah. There was no hope for them. God told Abraham, I'm going to wipe those cities out. I'm going to send basically asphalt, burning asphalt from uh, the sky, and I'm going to wipe out those two cities. Well, there was one Jewish man that lived there that was going to get wiped out if he didn't move. His name was Lot. So Abraham told his nephew Lot, you better move. Because the burning asphalt's going to come down and wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. So the cities were destroyed. Lot got out. Lot had two daughters. Uh, Lot's wife died on the, on the way out by her own disobedience. So Lot and his two daughters, they flee to the hillside. They can look at the cities that are burning. And Lot's two daughters say, all the guys are gone. We're not going to be able to have any children. They got their father drunk and had sex with Lot. And they became pregnant. And, and one of the children out of that pregnancy, was na- they named him Moab. He became a leader of a very fierce nation that was hostile to Israel called the Moabites, Ruth was part of the Moabites. That's that's who she links back to. She's not an Israelite. So Boaz was going to marry a Moabite. Well, how did that happen? Well, there was a time in life where God moved Israel for just a small time to be in the land of, of Moab. And while the people of Israel were in Moab... An Israelite man fell in love with this woman named Ruth, the Moabite. So you got a Jewish man. This is not, this is not Boaz. You got this Jewish man living for a brief time in, in Moab, falls in love with Ruth. He dies. So now Ruth is a, is a widow. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, is a widow. They have nowhere to go, but Naomi was a Jew. And she said, well, let's go back to Bethlehem and see if somebody will help us from Israel. They move back, and one day, Ruth is out in the fields. This Moabite woman is out in the fields, and she's picking up the wheat that's been left over from the harvest. It was called gleaning. It was permissible. You could go into a farmer's field and pick up what was left, but to do it meant you were dirt poor. And while she was doing that, the owner of the field, Boaz, saw Ruth, felt sorry for her, and she must have been pretty because he fell in love with her and said, you can pick as much as you want, and I'm going to marry you as well. And Boaz married a Moabitess named, named Ruth. They gave birth to a little boy named Obed, and when Obed grew up, Um, 
He and his wife became the father of Jesse, and Jesse became the father of King David, Israel's greatest king. So every Jew wanted to know about the Messiah. Can you trace your roots back to Abraham? And can you trace your roots back to David? Because this was the big promise that God had made to this King David. 2 Samuel 7, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So every Jew knew that out of David's family was going to come a king who would establish a kingdom that would never end. The last kingdom that would stand on earth. So everybody want to know, Jesus, can you trace your lineage back to back to? Back to David. So I just want to stop for a moment here, and I want you to marvel with me of all the details so far that we've looked at to just get us to the place where King David was born. It's already mind-blowing. The, the, the plan should have fallen apart a thousand times. And God was connecting all of these dots to bring David and to bring the descendants after David because the point of the genealogies is to tell us that God is unstoppable. That's the point of the genealogy, to tell us that God is unstoppable. So many times it looked like that God's plan was going to be stopped and, and it wasn't. I want to play a video for you now. It's, um, it's a video that was uh, produced in 2003 uh, by Honda, and uh, it was sort of a it was sort of a, a video that was designed to show how well they put cars together. I've, I'm going to say a few more things after the video. It's worth reading the story. I won't go into a long time of, of how that video was made. It was, it was made in 2003 in Paris. It took four days to, to put up all of those, um, all of the parts that were used in the video of 85 ball bearings, levers, uh, wiper blades, tires, mufflers, and all, all, all parts of the car to come together to trigger dozens of those events. But what I find interesting in that commercial is it took 607 takes before it all worked right. 607 times they tried to film it because they refused to piece it together. They said, we want to get it right one flowing time. And I just want to say, if Honda cares that much... Would you please renew your confidence in your Father in heaven that all of these random events in the world, he is working together for your good. 
But we must not linger. Because there are more stories to tell of God's amazing grace and providences in getting Jesus to that manger. So Ruth is the third person in the genealogy. Now we come to the fourth. David, the great king, was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Interesting that Matthew doesn't even tell us the name of the woman, but her name was Bathsheba. I know that many of you know the story. Some of you don't. It's worth hearing because of the grace of God. David was Israel's greatest king. He reigned for 40 years. He, he loved God immensely. But one day, when he sent his troops out to fight in the springtime, he didn't go with them for some reason. Instead, he went to the balcony of his palace and looked over, and there was a house owned by um, one of his soldiers, Uriah. Uriah was out fighting. His wife was on top of the house bathing. David lusted after her, went to her, had sex with her, and she became pregnant. Her name was Bathsheba. David became so afraid that the whole nation would find out that he was not with his men fighting at war, but instead stealing another man's wife, that he brought Uriah back from the battlefield and said, sleep with your wife. He said, how could I do that while my men are fighting? He wouldn't do it. So, so David said, well, I got to make up another story. He sent Uriah to the front of the front of the battlefield to make sure that he got killed. And he did die. And then Israel did find out what David had done, that he had slept with another man's wife and then murdered the man. And the baby that was born from this sinful, sinful situation was King Solomon, the wisest of all of Israel's kings. He wrote a thousand songs, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and he was the smartest engineering mind on this side of Christ. And he came out of all of that. Now in verses 7 through 10, you got a, a bunch of other kings that are listed. Some of them are okay. Some of them are not very good at all. And one of them at the end of verse 10 is utterly, utterly wicked. His name is Manasseh. All part of the genealogy of Christ. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Aren't you glad we have elections every now and then? <laughs> 55 years, this guy. His presidency was so evil that the Bible says he sinned far more wickedly than any nation that had ever lived in Israel, Israel's land that they had driven out. He led the nation to worship the stars, not God. He relied not on scripture, but on fortune tellers. He was a prolific drug user, and he even burned his son in the fire as a worship to the false gods like all the other nations did. The more that a civilization strays from God, the more they will kill children. This one was killing their own children. He made so many enemies in Jerusalem. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 21 that Jerusalem was covered from east to west with blood because if you didn't agree with him, he killed you. Believe it or not, 
He repented of his sin. In the latter years of his life, confessed that he had done wrong, but he had led the nation too far. The nation was gone, and judgment was now becoming on the nation because all the nation had followed the ways of Manasseh now, and there was no, there was no turning back. It's possible for a nation to go, to go too far. It's a scary thing. And so they were destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. The capital city was destroyed. The temple was destroyed, burned by the Babylonian army. And so then when you come to verses 12 through uh, 15, this is a description, the third part of the genealogy of all of the people that were taken as captives from Jerusalem, transported 900 miles away where they had to live in a new land under a new king for 70 years. And you know, when you read about all these names here, you know, not only can I not pronounce them, I have no idea who they are. And the cool thing is about not knowing who they are, I think that's a tribute to God. That people who were nobodies in the eyes of the world found their way very importantly in the genealogy of Christ. The world thought they were nothing. The world thought that, you know, you got the great kings like Artaxerxes and Nebuchadnezzar and Napoleon and Caesar and Nero. And then you have these unknown people who were the real important people because they were part of the birth of Christ. Better to be unknown in the world and yet be a friend to God than to be well known by the world yet be a stranger to God. You know, during the 70 years in which Israel lived in Babylon as captives, it looked like the nation was going to be no more. And remember, if the nation died out when they'd be swallowed up by Babylon, then Christ wasn't coming. His lineage would stop. The birth of Jesus would not occur. There is no such thing as church. None of these songs we're singing today, would. Have, there would be no reason to sing because he didn't come. Yet Israel did not disappear. Israel should have disappeared many, many times in history. God did not let his nation die out until we could come to verse 16. And Jacob, still with the genealogy, Jacob became the father of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So all of this leads up to the birth of Joseph, who became married to Mary and adopted the baby Jesus. We'll look at this again next week, but his genetic material did not go into Mary's womb. But he adopted Jesus, and through adoption, he made Jesus the legal heir of the kings of Israel through adoption. And all of this occurred through so many weak and ruined lives. And so when I look at the genealogy, I do want to ask God, why'd you include all of those people? Why do we have to know all of the stories? I mean, it was embarrassing, truly, to tell all the stories today. And God says, this is the answer, because I don't do Facebook. 
I don't just put great pictures of my family on vacation where we're all doing great. And my children are obeying me. I got a new promotion. I didn't lose my job. No divorce. Husband and wife just loving, smoochy, smoochy, kissy, kissy. Everything's great in our house. My children love me and adore me. Nobody dies young. Everybody gets healed in the name of Jesus. No, because that's not life. Facebook is not life. It's a life that doesn't exist. It's not real. Matthew 1 is real. Where we all screw up, we all get hurt, and everything looks like it's the end all the time, and then God shows up and continues the plan. I love that God is so transparent about the failures of everyone in the family because it lets me know I can be in the family. What does the genealogy of of Christ teach us? It, It teaches us that Jesus is tender toward the unwise and the immoral, toward the outcast and the poor, and toward the common man who is unknown by the world. The genealogy of Christ teaches us that Jesus is a king who invites enemies to become friends and welcomes strangers into the family. He is a king who has pity for the prostitute and plans to bring beauty out of her brokenness. Everyone in this room can be included in Christ's genealogy. He is a savior who has come to build his family from sinners in this world. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.